Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's 2 p.m. in Memphis. Giannato and Jeffrey time. Get off the fence. Live on Memphis's sports station. 92.9 FM ESPN. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Giannato and Jeffrey show. Coming to you live from Memphis, Tennessee. My name is Jeffrey Wright. You can follow me on Twitter at jwright929ESPN. Dennis Fuller is producing the program for us. Glad he is with us. Sitting across from me is the Commercial Appeals Lead Sports Columnist. The Lead Sports Columnist, the number one sports section in the state of Tennessee. Top three sports columnists in the state of Tennessee. Barely. Tied for eighth, best sports columnist in the United States of America. He's on Twitter at MGNato. Mark, good day, sir. Last day before uh, the All Star breaks over. I mean, I'm. I think it, it was the proper amount of time this year, Jeffrey. I'm. I was. I was getting a little. I, maybe it was partly because the Grizzlies were, you know, lost a bunch of games heading into the All Star break by and large. I know they won last two or three going into it, but I was much like the Grizzlies. All Star break came at a good time. It felt like needed a break, but now I feel rejuvenated. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I can't I, like I, I feel I feel like we should have gotten some NBA games tonight. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's that weird reality of I felt like the Grizzlies really needed the All Star break, mm-hmm. so it came at that appropriate time. But I take it you did not watch as much college basketball as I did last night. I watched some last night. And this is not pointing the finger at you. Like I watch more sports, but when I watched my thirty eighth consecutive out of bounds play in which they had to go to the monitor. I found myself found myself going. I need the NBA back the, immediately. The end of the Tennessee A and M game. That wasn't even the worst one. Took forever. The worst one by far was Virginia Tech and Miami. Really? At least you could make the case one possession mattered in Tennessee and Texas A and M. We were at a point pretty much the entire like last four minutes where they Games were decided. Correct and. The other thing that you start realizing, because this did happen in the Tennessee-Texas A&M game, you get into these situations where you review you review the who, who touched it last. And you can clearly tell they call it one direction, and they go to the monitor and they realize, like, oh, it was off the other guy, but really it was a foul, but we can't call the foul. So it just leads us to these moments of, I kind of abide by the principle, in general, the professional leagues get the rules right. The fact that you're not able to review every single out-of-bounds play in the fourth quarter, in the final mm. two of yeah. the NBA, that maybe should be a blanket rule. Mm. I mean, uh, the NBA reviews aren't great either. They're not great. It's, but not, it's, good. it's much better compared to what we see in college. I mean, like, have you noticed like on Memphis games where me and Munns sit for these Memphis games – with the number of dang reviews there are, like half, you know, like. Well, no, you should start. We talked about it. You should start selling ads. Yeah. No, we should on the back of my laptop. Correct. You yes. know, like just put some ads right. up. 
Because every time they go to the dang monitor, there I am. My ugly yes. mug. My, my face made for radio right in your face. It's just, I don't know. It, it, was, it was excruciating to watch. Like, it was just, it was tough. Uh, we talked about how, we, talked, time, about yes, we the, talked about yesterday how you said the eyes of the sports world are on college basketball. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you who got that memo. The officials from last <laughs> night. Well, I was going to say, the, that A&M Tennessee game, by the time it was over, the Michigan State Indiana game that was on next was like, I think there were like eight minutes left in the first half. Well, the other thing that you noticed is, so that game started at the same time that Kansas State Baylor started, mm-hmm. and the same time that uh, Miami Virginia Tech started, and those games were over twenty five minutes before them. <laughs> it's just uh, review. I remember when review first came to the NFL, and it felt like God, I can't. We've made it. We've made it. This is so much better, and it it really has jumped the shark. The problem is, or when it returned, didn't the NFL? The NFL had it, then got rid of it, and then brought it back, right? If I recall correctly, yeah, like they had it for I want to say for like if like it was procedural things, like if somebody stepped out of bounds, you could you could go review that, and then it went away, and then they brought it back with the challenge system. Mm-hmm. The biggest problem that I see, I acknowledge officiating a sport. Yeah, is, 85 to 92 yeah. that instant. And then 96, 97, maybe it came back. Mm. Like it went away yeah. for it went away for a decent amount of yeah. time. Yeah. But the biggest problem is, and again, granted that I understand it's a tough it, it is a no-win job. Like you if you do your job, the best anyone can say is I did not notice you. And so I, I acknowledge that. But the problem that I have is you see it now. The game is officiated with the sense of, well, we can just fix it and replay. And it's like, that's just not the game gets no flow. It ends up getting, you know, those those last what, that last 90 seconds of the Tennessee AM game felt like it took 15 minutes to play. Yeah, it was brutal. But hey, we made it. And it was a. If you're a Memphis fan, we haven't made it yet. We made it through it. We still, uh, got, we still got a whole night of sports. And if you're a Memphis fan, it was it was a positive result. A and M got another big win yep. to improve its quad one standing. And you know Tennessee lost. And I know Memphis fans take some solace in that. Yeah, I think that it's the it's the double win. Yeah. So um, lots and lots to get into on today's show. It's buy, sell, short, or go to Reddit day. Uh, we've got Tigers, Grizzlies, NBA stuff to d- discuss. David Cobb from CBSSports.com is going to join us at 2.40 or so. We'll get his thoughts on Tennessee basketball. Also, uh, that developing Brandon Miller situation at Alabama. Um, 3 o'clock or so, we will get into the list. Uh, the NBA All-Star Game ratings came out, Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. They were not good. Shocking. And... This was just announced. I'm going to catch you by surprise here. Netflix is doing a Drive to Survive series, but with NFL quarterbacks. And the three quarterbacks Mm. that they followed around this past season, apparently, were Patrick Mahomes, Kirk Cousins, and Marcus Mariota. That is range. Yes. So uh, we'll dive into that, and then uh, we'll wrap things up. But let's... uh, 
Let's start off with a little buy, sell, short, or go to Reddit. It's that time on 92.9's Giannato and Jeffrey show, where we either buy, sell, short, or go to Reddit. All right, Jeffrey. The, uh, let's start with the Grizzlies, since we're longing for the NBA to return, and that they're back in action tomorrow night. Uh, it, on- also, it also appears that we've now reached the portion of practice during media availability, so we will... We'll spend the second hour, the second half, of the second hour. We'll talk. We'll talk about what was said. Yes. Yeah. They're they're the, the Grizzlies uh, had their first, or just finished up their first practice uh, since the All Star break uh, down at FedEx Forum. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but uh, yeah, so they they're back in action Thursday night at Philadelphia on national television. Uh, since we last uh, did the show yesterday. Grizzlies added another national TV game, their Tuesday game against the Lakers. Oh, yeah, we're in flex season, aren't we? Yes. Uh, they flexed out Wizards-Hawks for Grizzlies-Lakers. And so it means, you know, we've been talking about this 11-game stretch that they have coming out of the break where they're playing basically all contenders slash playoff teams. Um, I didn't realize it today. Seven of those eleven games are going to be on national television. I did Grizzlies not, are going to be in your face. <laughs> I was look. I was looking at the whatever the calendar, the magnet calendar, and I was like, "Oh man, that's a decent amount." I did not realize that it was seven out of eleven, or it would have been six out of eleven, but now it's seven out of eleven. Mm, interesting. And uh, we are getting word out of practice, by the way, and this this will relate to our buy, sell, shorter, go to Reddit, our first one. Um, but word out of practice is Stephen Adams is not going to be back tomorrow from his injury. But I want to I want to I want to get this buy sell short or go to Reddit for you. All right. The return of Stephen Adams will fix the Memphis Grizzlies. Buy sell short or go to Reddit. Okay, I think I am going to. I think I'm going to buy it, and here's why. Mm. I do think it's more than just – I think it to me it's not just the return of Steven Adams. And, you know, you, you, you've pointed out there's some there's a Twitter account that keeps track of Steven Adams' stats and, and whatnot and his value to the team. I actually think, though, I would go – it's a little bit simpler for me for why I think it's such a big deal. I think it's, it's just straight up going to – it's going to cut down on the number of – offensive rebounds that the Grizzlies have been giving up, so the extra possessions they've been giving up, and then I think it's going to allow their offense to have a little bit more flow. But I think the biggest deal is it's not just Steven Adams returning to the lineup. It's now Steven Adams returning to the lineup, and you're getting rid of, you know, for I'm not making him the scapegoat, but a lot of Xavier Tillman minutes. Mm. Well, and I also just think I think his offensive rebounding covers up some of their flaws shooting the ball. Like they're they're an inconsistent team shooting from outside, and when you have the best offensive rebounder in the league on the floor, that covers up some of the bad shooting. It just it gives you an extra possession or what whatever. And then we've seen his screening very clearly helps John Morant, and to a lesser extent, if you look at when Tyus Jones started slumping, it also coincides with Stephen Adams. Okay, I know we. I know we said that we would talk about the media availability later in the show, and we'll do that to a certain extent. But this applies to exactly what we're talking about. 
Uh, Taylor Jenkins said Stephen Adams will not play, obviously, tomorrow in Philly, as you had already mentioned. Mm-hmm. But this is the this is where I think we got to really talk about it. He did participate in practice today, but no five on five. Mm-hmm. He's progressing well, according to Clayton Collier. Uh, we should get an update later this week. It sounds like he's going to miss these next two games at least. Yeah, feels like I mean, the earliest. You could tell me maybe a week. Yeah, um, I mean it feels like you're not going to have him against the Sixers. Unlikely to have him against the Nuggets. Denver, yeah, and maybe then, the Lakers on is that Tuesday? Yeah, so maybe because there'll be a day in there where he can get a practice in, maybe. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it's right, we're right in that three to five. Yeah, they said three to five weeks. And I believe we're at like four and a half weeks. Right now, that sounds about right. Yeah, um, I think that's right. Um, but the fact that he hasn't done five on five work—that's concerning. No, he did. He did. Yes, it's correct. No five on five yet. Um, he, he did non. According to Evan Barnes, Taylor Jenkins said he did some non-contact work today. I know we're speculating. Does that also imply maybe he's not cleared for contact? Um, or do you think that's precautionary? I don't know. I don't know. That's good. I mean, I would assume if he was cleared for it, he would do it, right? That that's my that's why I say I'm speculating. But to me, like that would imply maybe he hadn't been cleared yet. But I, I do think he's. It does sound like they're you know they're not saying he's not going to be. It's not like he's had a setback. It doesn't sound like that. It sounds like you know he'll be back soon, but soon is a you know it's not a specific time frame at this point. Maybe intentionally. Yeah. Ambiguous. Well, it is interesting, though, because of this stretch you have coming up. Um, because I think this 11-game stretch is going to, you know, it feels like, I keep saying it, it's like a it's a telling stretch of time for the Grizzlies. Like, this is their last chance in the regular season to kind of show that they, you know, they're, they're everything they say they are. And, like, you ultimately, the playoffs will determine everything. You know, like... How how you remember this Grizzlies team will be based on what they do in the playoffs. I think more than ever. Ultimately. But I mean, I think that's where we are in the NBA now. Yes. But this is the last chance in the regular season to kind of get some conf- you know, get some confidence. Because I was I was looking it up. You could make the argument the last time this team beat a contending team that was at full strength was January first against the Sacramento Kings. Yeah, I mean, like, I th- since then yeah. they beat they beat Cleveland, but that was Cleveland without Donovan Mitchell. Um, they beat Minnesota, but do you really consider Minnesota a contending team? And they didn't have Carl Anthony Towns, anyways. I mean, Minnesota, I think, is exact kind of in the same spot they were last year. Yeah, and I I looked this up against teams that would currently make the postseason in the Western Conference. The Grizzlies are under five hundred against them. And two and ten on the road. Now, to be fair to them, though, I think if you were to extrapolate that to a lot of the Western Conference, it holds true. The, the road record part of it and record above five hundred. Like, mm. let me. Like, it is wide open. It is. Uh, it is wide. All right. Well, so Stephen Adams' return will fix the Grizzlies. I don't know where to go on this. I mean, fix is also a relative term. Yeah. I do think they will look more like what we expected this team to look like. I think they'll look more like they did on January 1, mm-hmm. which was a good basketball team, than they will look like they did the last six weeks. 
I'm gonna I think I'm gonna sell this. And not because I don't think Steven Adams will make an but impact. You think their issues are bigger? I think they're I think the issues are not bigger, but I think like ultimately I don't think Steven Adams is gonna determine this team's success or failure in the postseason. Does that make sense? If we're gonna judge this if we if we go by what I just said, that like ultimately how we remember this team is going to be how they perform in the postseason. I don't think Steven Adams, like I'm not sure he's even going to be playing in fourth quarters in the postseason that much. Well, it's going to be because of his free throw shooting. It's going to be interesting to see how they manage that because last year we saw, I mean, I still, I still in real time, I said it in real time. This isn't, you know, this isn't Monday morning quarterbacking. They made a panic move when they benched Steven Adams. Mm -hmm. They had more problems than just Steven. Mm -hmm. But Steven also was banged up at that point. So to me, though, it's more of what are the options? Like, to me, the biggest difference between this team this year and this team last year is the second unit. And so I think you're going to have to have more minutes with your starters on the floor, and I think that includes Steven Adams, and I think that's going to include having him on the floor when they might just start hacking him. Yeah. It is it is fascinating though how the season really did take a turn just as soon as he went out with injury. Went out to due to injury. And I the I, correlation there. And I'm not even necessarily like even though I'm buying this, I'm not even necessarily certain that that is the primary reason, but I do think if we're doing a pie chart, I think it's at least 50% of the reason. You don't think it's because of the Shannon Sharp confrontation? I don't. I mean, I do think, though, <laughs> included in that was a long road trip. Yeah. Well, no, the next game is when Steven Adams got hurt. Yeah. Um, but, like, if you look at – so let's look at the West. Denver's at 14-14 and 14 on the road. However, Denver has – teams above 500. If you're looking at teams in the West, Denver has far and away the best, the best uh, record against teams above 500. They're 28 and 12. The Grizzlies, 13 and 12. The Kings, 11 and 17. The Clippers, 13 and 19. The Suns, 18 and 17. Mavericks, 19 and 18. Pelicans, 13 and 23. Mm -hmm. The T Wolves, 19 and 19. The Warriors, 13 and 16. And the Thunder are 18 and 21. So, like, when you look at the other teams behind them, they're kind of right there on pace. The biggest difference, though, as you mentioned, is it's overall it's the road record. Whereas you look at Denver on the road, they're fourteen and fourteen, but the Grizzlies are eleven and seventeen. Then you start comparing them to the Kings, fifteen and thirteen. The Clippers are eighteen and fifteen. The Suns have been twelve and eighteen, but again, there's an asterisk next to the Suns because they seem to be a new team now. And the, frankly, they were you know Booker was out for right. a long amount of time. Mavs twelve and nineteen, Pelicans ten and nineteen. T Wolves eleven and seventeen, the Warriors seven and twenty two. That's gross. And the Thunder now eleven and seventeen. Yeah. Well, it's why I've been saying I, I think like it'd be great if they hold on to the two seed, but I'm more concerned about like this team playing good basketball again. And they'll keep the two seed if they get back to the way they were playing in November and December. They'll 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 hold on to the two seed. They might not even need to play that well to hold on to the two seed. Like, that's that's the probably the most amazing part of this season. They just went through that, this month-long swoon or whatever you want to call it, 
And they're still three games up on Sacramento heading out of the All-Star with 25, with 25 games to, to go. Play. Like, the, someone's either going to have to get really hot or the Grizzlies are going to have to basically have another month like they just had in order for them to lose the two seed, it feels like. And if you included in those 25 remaining games, you still have three against Houston. Mm-hmm. You got a San Antonio game in there. Uh, you you have to go to Atlanta. An Orlando game. You go to Atlanta, but you get Orlando at Chicago, Portland at home, at well, New Orleans, Portland, so. at Thunder. Yeah, but I'm saying like those are roughly half the games mm-hmm. are against teams that you will be a, a legitimate favorite against. Yeah, yeah. So it, I, I'm I'm interested to see what they look like tomorrow coming out of like whether they look rejuvenated. You know, like that was the sense you got. Going going into the All Star break, is they needed this break. It had been a long season. It had been a long month, and they it, this All Star break was coming at the right time. That was what they were saying, and I am very interested to see what they look like tonight, tomorrow night, and then Saturday. Um, whether we see that, do we see a rejuvenated team? If you now had- maybe it's a little more complicated because without Stephen Adams back, like I was hopeful that you know. We were, you know, that the All-Star break would allow it, would make it so that he was going to be back right as soon as we got back from the All-Star break. Very clearly, based off today's comments, that is not the case. Okay, let's 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 go to why they've had the form that they've had. Mm-hmm. Because this is what's interesting to me. If you had to pinpoint what you think is, from a basketball perspective, so take off whatever attitude, whatever... Mm-hmm whatever social media construct mm-hmm. people would throw out there. But from a basketball perspective, what do you think has cost them the most? I think the thing that has cost them the most, not in terms of being an elite team, they should have been, during this swoon, yeah. they should have been better if they had been better at closing games. They they fumbled away several games. Like, if they just, you know, there's like four, five, six games where they were not able to close in the fourth quarter like they'd been good at, Earlier in the season and last season, where if they do, if they just close out those games, yeah, it's not the greatest stretch of the season, but it's also not like losing eight of nine or whatever they ended up losing, um, and going through this sort of these issues. Like I think, I think their fourth quarters have become an issue, and like they have to. And Taylor Jenkins has talked about it. Like they have to figure out new ways to close games because it doesn't. It feels to me like the whole call 12 strategy and just let Ja take over, teams have made an adjustment to that in some form or fashion. Now, maybe part of it is Steven Adams not being there, but I never got the sense last year, like Steven Adams wasn't in a lot of games no, was a lot of Brandon in Clark crunch Clark. time. So I guess this, is, this would be the next question, though, that I have. How much of the fourth quarter woes do you attribute to lack of shooting? Consistent shooting. I think I think I think there I think it goes hand in hand with the fourth quarter typically devolves into half court offense and they're half they struggle in half court offense because they don't have a lot of shooting. And so I guess the point that I would make is I don't think that's really a whole lot different than last year. Mm-hmm. No, I I don't think I think you're but right. But I do think there's a key difference between this team and last year's team. And I think it's the second unit. Mm. 
And so to me— And the second unit is usually starting off the fourth quarter. Correct. And if you look at—if you kind of look at how the Grizzlies games have gone, the starters have typically built a lead. That second unit comes in, and then the lead starts to dissipate. Third quarters, they've been pretty good again. But then it gets back to what we're talking about, starting the fourth quarter— and then it feels like okay, the game's slipping away. Let's go. Let's go make a play. Trying to do, trying to do too much. And to me, that is the bigger question that I have for the Grizzlies. In terms of the rest of the regular season, it's are they going to be able to solidly find a second unit? But the bigger point to me, though, is is this entire discussion somewhat moot in the sense that. We're talking about regular season basketball, but what we've seen is it's going to be defined by the playoffs. Is their best strategy just making sure, all right, make sure everybody's healthy, good to go, and then it's new basketball starting middle of April? I guess. I don't know. I think I think some of these flaws that have shown up are things that have to be addressed before the playoffs, like over these next 25 games. Yeah. If you're going to make – if you're truly – going to make or like I think the West is so wide open this year that even though the Grizzlies have struggled of late like I still think they can make a legitimate case like hey we could come out of the West you know like it's so wide open this year it's it's very unique in that way at the same time like if they if they can't score in the half court I mean we saw it in the playoffs last year like ultimately ultimately I think what people overlook is like they struggled a lot to beat Minnesota in the first round last year. Like more so, even though it was six games, it didn't go to seven. Like they were trail. Like they trailed the majority of that series. I, yeah, I don't have the spreadsheet in front of me that I that I made. They trailed basically seventy percent of that series. Yeah, and you know now they, on the flip side, they made plays in the fourth quarter. Well, but also on the flip side, they actually led. It was almost the mm-hmm. Golden State series was almost the reverse of the of the Timberwolves series in the sense that. The Grizzlies led like 65 to 70% of the minutes played during the Golden State series, but they lose in six, whereas they trailed for 70% in the T-Wolves series, and they win in six. But to your point about the shooting and the half-court offense, like they need to find – like in the Timberwolves series, they had Tyus Jones knocking down shots yep. along with Desmond Bain. Um, you, they need other guys to be able to knock down shots for them. Now, is that Luke Kennard? Maybe. Is it Tyus Jones finding his groove again? Maybe. Um, it seems to me you're going to need a combination of... You probably need both. Well, you're going to need... I guess here's the real question. Are you at the point now where you... Have you written off Conchar for the season in terms of being like a meaningful shot maker? Uh... Yeah, probably. I mean, I'm I'm there. If, he, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. My, I'm, my be, problem is, is I used to not... I've kind of written off Dylan Brooks as a cons- well, as any sort so of the, consistent to me shot is, maker. I think you need a combination of two guys. You need a combination from Tyus, Dylan, and Kennard. Mm-hmm. It still remains to be seen. Like I don't know how many how many shots is Kennard going to get a game. Yeah, but it seems to me you need a combination of two of those guys to start making more You're shots. Missing anyone? I mean, like I don't know what the deal is with Zaire at this point. I think. I'm kind of writing him off for the moment. I'm writing him off for the season. Yeah. Um, 
Like that's ultimately the problem with the roster. I mean, I guess the it's other like, there's just not the, enough shooting stuff. The one David wi- Roddy. Well, the one maybe. Wi- I think the one wild card is: Are we going to start seeing Jaron putting up like seven to eight threes a game? Yeah, but I think part of his success this season is he went away from that. I know he's shooting the ball well this year, but like I like it when he's playing in the post. I guess my question is: What if you can? What if you can get the blend in the sense that take away. Get three, his shot volume up to eight. Take, take away three shots 13. from Dylan, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Or take away a shot a quarter from Dylan mm-hmm. and give those four to Jaron or have Jaron take those four. Yeah. And then he can still, because I'm with you, I think a big I think a big part of the fourth quarter is going to be he in the half court, I think he needs to be a part of the offense. Yeah, no, and you saw it towards the end of the, you know, right before the All-Star break, his shot attempts were going. I think he had like an 18-shot game right before the uh, break, something like that. But, yeah, I mean – Jaron, you could. There's an argument that he has been the most important player on the team this year, like more so than Ja, more so, more so than anyone else. Yeah, I mean, if you consider both ends, you could make an argument. Like, I mean, I would still, I think, I would still, if I had to, if I got the choice, if you were drafting, you know, you'd pick Ja first. But I think there's a pretty good argument that he's been their most important player this year, and, um. I think you're right though. His his shot attempts need to go up. So uh, if you look at it if you look at it from let's say the middle so, of January. So that Utah game right before the break, he took nineteen shots and ten three pointers. Went four of ten from three and eight of nineteen from the field. Um and indeed over his last one, two, three, and the problem is like the Boston game. It was just minutes on the floor because he was in foul trouble. Over his last, the last eight games that he's played, he's taken more than thirteen shots four times. Um, so it, his shot, it, it looks like his attempts are going up here as we go along, um, and that's probably something the Grizzlies need to lean into. And I'd like you know, like another part of this is like. I'd like to see Jenkins kind of mix up his rotations a little more. Like, we keep talking about the reserves aren't performing the way, you know, we got accustomed to a year ago. And I do think part of it is, like, I don't know. They, like, it, it, is, it seems at times they don't play like – it doesn't feel like we – and maybe they're just saving it for the playoffs. It doesn't feel like we get Jaron and Clark on the court all that much. Or as much as we should, considering how effective they've been. Over well, the I years. think it's because for a while they were starting with Tillman. Yeah, like I don't understand that whole Tillman. I know like he's he's a slightly better screener and rebounder than Clark, but like Clark gives you so much more. Well, and it's, I mean, it's just is. Does anyone have a problem with this statement? Brandon Clark's a better basketball player than Xavier Tillman. Yeah. Like uh, I, I, I do think. I mean, I do think a big problem is. I think compared to last year, there's less of a clear pecking order. Like I, I think it's still because to me that second unit, it's still kind of a lot of question marks. Like in an ideal world, I think your situation would be all right. You've got Tyus and Brandon leading that unit. Canard mm-hmm. gives you a three point shooter mm-hmm. out of that unit, and then you'd be getting something from either Roddy. Zaire Conchar. Correct. And right now, the guy that seems to be, you know, I mean, those. Th- You're getting nothing from right. him. I mean, now, Rod- I- I've been surprised Roddy hasn't got. Every time Roddy gets run lately, 
he's actually looked like the beginning of the year he looked shaky, and I thought as the year was progressing he was playing better, um, and now he's like completely out of the rotation. And I get it; he's a rookie, and like I don't expect him to play in the playoffs, but I do wonder if he can help him. He's like an energy guy. Yeah, I still don't know. Man. I don't think it, again. You, I don't think that's the difference. No, I'm with you, but also like, are you ready to count on that in the playoffs? No, no, no. That's ultimately the problem with this team. There's, there's, there's the depth of shooting is not there yet. They well, tried I mean, to add to it, and but none of the rookies have really latched on as immediate contributors or immediate rotation guys for the playoffs. And I mean, I think there's a real question in this. I understand financials and the way that it works, but man, doesn't this team just feel like it misses Kyle Anderson? Well, a little bit. We were forgetting Santi. I mean, yeah. you know, Santi's had a nice year. Um, But still, like what we've seen with Santi, it's like, you know, Eric's even mentioned it. Santi's, Santi he's is... He's your classic role player. Doesn't play well on the road. Correct. Yeah. But you've definitely seen way more on the positive end with Santi than you have... I would say this about the Kyle the Kyle argument like to me I do th- I think it's like if Kyle was here Santi wouldn't be playing very much. Maybe not though. I don't know. Maybe No, I think I think Roddy would I think that that Yeah. I think he'd be taking that role like kind of that wing on the second unit and then mixing but in with they, the starters. Could they have afforded to sign both Tyus and Kyle? I don't think they could have. I suspect in the end if you would have I suspect with Kyle, Kyle wanted the long-term security, and I don't think the Grizzlies are willing to give. I mean, that. the reality is they got they they decided to let go of Kyle, and they traded DeAnthony Melton, and they haven't totally replaced that with the bench unit. They just haven't no. with what they decided to go the route they decided to go. It's not like a it's not a decision that is crippling for the long-term chances of the franchise but it's something that feels like it's weighing them down right now. Yeah, I mean to me like the only the you have kind of two options in that scenario. It's play your starters more and kind of going into your point about like hey, get the best guys on the floor more. Mm-hmm. But then you, I'm sure there's also the question of well, we know the most important aspect for this team is to get to the playoffs healthy and I'm sure mm-hmm. that runs the risk there. Yeah. But to me like the biggest difference record-wise and is just the second unit has been nowhere as good as it was last year. And so, like, even if you think about, like, a lot of these games this year, the fourth quarter didn't really matter. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the fourth quarter not mattering was they were getting more production in the second unit, and then as the second unit well, production Well, it's funny, like, off, last year, remember last year they were a good fourth quarter team. This year they've been a great third quarter, third team. quarter team. Yeah. Um, it's, it really is an interesting uh, dynamic. Should we do our Tigers buy, sell, short, or go to Reddit? Let's... Let's talk some Tigers with Cobb, and then we'll start the second hour with Tigers. All right, Let's talk good. some college basketball with David Cobb. We'll do that next right here on Giannotto and Jeffrey, 92.9 FM, ESPN. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? 
Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. David Cobb, Bright Spot College Sports for CBSSports.com. He's on Twitter at David W. Cobb. Cobb, I will ask you a frequently asked question here in the 901 over the last 24 hours. How was James Wiseman suspended and Brandon Miller not? <laughs> Unreal. Great, great point. Great point. Yeah, what did James Wiseman do again? Oh, yeah. Uh, he, His mother took $11,500. I don't know if you've heard. Yeah, I know. And, and, and yeah, that's a wow. What, what a great question. And honestly, an incredible way to frame the conversation mm-hmm. because Brandon Miller, if he were not a superstar, uh, would probably be kicked off of his basketball team right now. And I think you could argue that in some jurisdictions, in some places, he would be charged with some sort of a crime. And the fact that he's neither been charged with a crime nor even suspended, let alone kicked off the team, it's crazy. It's become the biggest story of the year in college basketball over the last 24, 25 hours. Well, I'm curious. Do you think Alabama will react now now that there's been all this reaction to this. Will they react to the reaction? Yeah, will they react to the reaction and now punish him? Or will they dig their heels in and just, you know, basically like put their fingers in their ears and just, you know, try and go for a national title? I think uh, what happened yesterday is Nate Oates sort of backed them into a corner a little bit there by saying that they had all this information uh, after it happened. If he, w- if he would have said, oh, wow, this is new information, we'll have to process this and you know, figure out a response, then, then, yeah, you can suspend him and still look like you're taking the high ground. Uh, but he made it sound like they were aware of, of Brandon Miller and, and Jaden Bradley's involvement in this all along, which now if you suspend him uh, when you knew all along, you're just doing it to save face after it came out publicly in, in the, the hearing yesterday. So I don't think they're going to uh, sit him down, but obviously, I mean, tonight would be the perfect time to do it. You're going on the road, which is far from ideal, and you're playing a, a South Carolina team that you should beat even without Brandon Miller. So uh, I don't know why they wouldn't maybe do that tonight if they're going to do it, but, you know, we're T-minus, what, five hours until tip and no sign of that yet. Is anything going to happen to Nate Oates from this? Because I asked the question – Sometimes it's not necessarily how you handle one incident, but it's it gets people to start looking into how maybe you handled other incidents. Is there going to be some type of backlash against him other than, you know, hey, man, really, wrong place, wrong time? Like, are you serious? 
Well, if you want to be cynical about it, I'll be cynical about it here for a second. I think this is the best-case scenario for Alabama because it means he's going to be untouchable in this cycle. Uh, there, there's not going to be anybody else coming to get Nate Oates at this point in time after the way he handled this. And I know he just signed that huge extension in February, and you have to wonder how does that play into this yeah. as well because uh, so this had the, the initial uh, murder uh, that got Darius Miles charged with capital murder and dismissed from the team, it happened about two weeks before he signed a huge extension. Well, if he has to uh, suspend his best player, Brandon Miller, and then also a key contributor in Jaden Bradley for their involvement in it, as he and his agent know that they're in the final stages of a, of a huge contract negotiation, uh, the optics there might make that extension uh, less plausible from the university side. And I do wonder to what extent the contract negotiation played into the way that he handles this, because if he knows that he's not, that there's you know, a, not a huge payday around the corner, uh, maybe he's a little quicker to, uh, to suspend these guys. So, uh, no, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of, of repercussions for, for NATO. He didn't violate any NCAA rules. Presumably the administration has, has been in lockstep with him on this, um, and he's under contract for quite a while now. So I just I have a hard time seeing it. Yeah, because don't, I don't think he went into that press conference. Like you, you mentioned, Cobb, that you know he kind of backed them into a corner with what he said. I would presume – he had been advised in some form or fashion. I'm sure they didn't tell him to say wrong spot at the wrong time like he did. But I'm assuming the the administration, whether it's the athletic director or even the president, had spoken to him or they had spoken at some point about, okay, like this is our strategy with this. It wasn't like Nate Oates went rogue yesterday other than – I, I guarantee you no one wanted him to say that foolish thing he said about wrong spot well, at the hint, wrong time. Hence, they had to do a second statement. Yeah. Yeah, he had to backtrack that. He, he referred to his, his press conference from March as unfortunate, and uh, they, they, they were, to say the least. Yeah, Nate, Nate Oates uh, didn't win any, any uh, favors in the public eye yesterday with the way he handled that and with the way that, you know, Brandon Miller uh, has been handled here. I mean, the fact, yeah, the fact that, Guys like James Wiseman get suspended for for the fact that their mothers received uh, help making a move, you know, when they were middle schoolers or whatever. And then here we are with a guy who, in all, for all intents and purposes, was a an accessory to murder, and he, he doesn't get even a game. It's uh, college sports, man. It's college sports. Uh, I, I, the thing I've I've really been impressed with is like, you know, I, I expect it for Bama if it was a football type thing. Bama real Bama fans really irrationally coming to the defense of uh they got the taste Brandon of number Miller. one, baby. Yeah. It's like uh I was, you know, I guess they're a basketball school now. Right? Well they have a chance to win the national title, and that's part of why this is a such a huge story. Talking about an Alabama team that's arguably the best in that program's history. And I don't think this necessarily ends their their chances either, because if you go and look, uh two days after all this came out, uh they, they handled I think it was Vanderbilt. Brandon Miller had a huge game, 10 of 16 from the floor in 37 minutes. And, uh, you know, it didn't seem to distract him a whole lot then, even though he was 48 hours removed from having his windshield shot out. So uh, the, that's the crazy thing about, about this Alabama season. They managed to put the fact that one of their players was charged with capital murder behind them and move on as if nothing had happened on the floor. That's insane. Like, they are an insanely good and talented basketball team. And, and – and an unselfish team, too. You might expect a team with all this stuff going on in the background would have uh, ego problems, uh, personality issues, 
you know, all those sorts of things. This team does not. And that is, the dichotomy there blows my mind because this is absolutely still, even now, a team that can win it all. It just shows the importance of having a pecking order, guys. <laughs> yeah. you got to know when's, which guys are expendable. When do we hear, or if ever, not if ever, we'll hear from him eventually because he's going to be an NBA player, but, like, can they avoid, like, I'm assuming they're not going to want Brandon Miller to speak to the media <laughs> or speak publicly I mean, for the foreseeable future. part of the reason why I was thinking, like, you know, Nate Oates, is he now just, is he the one that just has to take, you know, all the Well, heat? usually at the postseason tournaments, SEC tournament and the NCAA tournament, it's open locker rooms. Now, that was pre-COVID. I don't know what the, the what the, you know, like last year it was not. Um, I don't know what the restrictions were. The locker rooms were yeah. not open last year. Um, but I'll say this. I do not think that Alabama will be making him available. Yeah. Absolutely not. No, yeah. and it makes sense now, too. Nate Oates saying back, you know, when this first happened a month ago uh, or more now that he spoke with Ray Lewis. <laughs> At the time, yeah. you're like, you did what? What? That, how, how is that relevant? But now uh, it comes to light a little bit more maybe why uh, a conversation with Ray Lewis would be relevant. But, yeah, it, it's going to be hard to keep Brandon Miller out of the public eye, and they can do it all they want to. But at the end of the day, there are going to be NBA franchises uh, that have a lot of questions. And it might be good to get the guy some reps uh, in front of the cameras before he goes to the combine. Although, you know, I still am not convinced this is going to hurt his draft stock. I'm well, not... he's, a, he's an unbelievable talent. Like, there's no doubt. But I bet he, I bet he slips a little bit because of this. I mean, if you're if you're in the top five or six this year, there's plenty of other options you can go with of guys who aren't implicated in, in being involved in a murder, but there's no way he slips out of the lottery. He's just too good. Well, I mean, to me, the other the other aspect of this is, okay, let's set aside whether or not we're skeptical about funny business and him not getting charged. There is this real question of, okay, well, he didn't get charged. Uh, presumably, according to Nate Oates, he didn't break any team rules. Like, isn't there a legitimate question of whether or not he should be suspended? I think if you're a coach who has any culture of accountability whatsoever, you look at the facts, and, and Nate Oates claims to have known the facts since right after all this happened, uh, and you say, you know what, you could have stopped your teammate from throwing his life away. Uh, you had a chance to uh, potentially intervene and save could have saved life. someone's life. Yeah, and you acted in a, in a very opposite manner to that. And as a result, one of your teammates is facing potentially, you know, what, life in prison, I assume. And, and there is a, a life that has been lost. So, uh, I mean, I, I think if you're a coach with any any culture, any shred of accountability, uh, you suspend a player just based off of that principle. Uh, but, you know, that player, in this case, for Nate Oates, is his ticket to uh, potentially a national title. And Nate Oates chose to prioritize victories uh, over accountability. So that's pretty much what it is. Now, number one rule of coaching, though, particularly in college sports, do as I say, not as I do. Right. Because I, mean, right. I, I legitimately wonder. I'm willing to. I'm willing to stake a claim. I bet an overwhelming a majority of coaches would have handled it the same way. Mm. I'm not saying all. Not, but I. I think it would have been. I think of the. Cobb, how many teams are in Power Five? What seventy ish? I'm willing to bet sixty handle it the same way. Mm. I don't know. I, I don't know. I think a lot of a lot a lot of coaches out there would at least suspend the players who were there or who were involved for a few games 
if for nothing else, wait for more information to come out. They suspend uh, guys for, like, breaking curfew sometimes. Yeah. It's usually the guys you want to suspend, though. <laughs> That's true. Um, all right, let's 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 turn to, I don't know if happier thoughts is the right way, but let's let's talk, uh, let's talk the NCAA tournament, the bubble, all that good stuff. Your thoughts on Memphis's situation entering these last few weeks of the season. They play at Wichita State Thursday, Cincinnati on Sunday, uh, then uh, at SMU a week from Thursday, and then the season finale against Houston. Uh, your thoughts on Memphis's situation uh, heading into these last four regular season games? Yeah, my feeling is win three out of four, and you enter the AAC tournament pretty squarely on the right side of the bubble. And then in that case, if you win three out of four, you enter the tournament on the right side of the bubble. The only thing that really screws with you at that point would be a, a terrible loss against a, an SMU team that randomly decides to start winning, uh, or maybe like a Tulsa. Uh, I think I think that's you know the only fear at that. Tulsa point. would be a, like, Tulsa's like literally might be the worst team in the. I know there's probably worse. Team. They are horrible. Did EC yeah. win last night? Yes, by two. Oh, so it pushed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, win three out of four. That's how I feel, though. Yeah, I think you're right. And Well, Mark and I were discussing this because Mark had made the point when he was writing his column for, you know, sit Kendrick to save for this week, which I agreed with 100% against Houston. But in a weird way, can you, if you're going to split this week, isn't the better game to win the Cincinnati game? Because that game right now is going to be a quad three, and when you look at the numbers – I don't know if that's going to jump up. It's going to end up being a quad three game, whereas Wichita State's probably safely a quad two game. Because it's on the road. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, well, but you could flip it the other way around, too, and say that uh, winning win. Wichita State boosts your resume a little bit. But, yeah, I think the bad loss is probably more important to avoid at this point because uh, the quad two is not going to help you a ton. That Wichita State game ought to be a dogfight, though. I mean, they've been playing pretty well. Uh, so, I mean, nothing's going to come easy. I mean, you, sh- you shouldn't have any trouble against SMU. But, yeah, this week is, is tough for Memphis, especially if Kendrick Davis doesn't play. So, no guarantees there. If you had to pick one or the other, I think I would go with you, Jeffrey. I think I would, I would choose to uh, avoid the quad three loss because that's kind of the Memphis' golden ticket at that point. At this point. The fact that they don't have any uh, ugly blemishes. I mean, I guess – well, one of the two lane losses goes down as quad three. Yeah, but yeah, they're sitting at eighty six. You need to get them to seventy five. It's not. It's not far fetched. It's, it's not a bad quad three loss. You but know? It's, it's like a, it could also wind up being quad two mm-hmm. when we get to selection Sunday. What sticks out to me though is how much help Memphis is getting from the front half of its schedule right now. Yeah. Though, and Nebraska is randomly winning games. Uh, uh, Auburn is at least hanging in there as a likely NCAA tournament team. Even Vandy is above a- five in, in is... the SEC. Yeah, and A&M is on a roll, too. That's, a, that's so important right now, and I hope nobody in Memphis ever forgets it, including Penny Hardaway, how important it is to play well in November and December, and that's only going to become more important for Memphis in a new conference where you're not going to have that chance against Houston uh, in late February anymore to sort of uh, bolster your resume. Uh, no, next year it'll be you'll be playing Dusty May in Florida Atlantic. You know? <laughs> you'll be playing well, Florida Atlantic. Yeah. Uh, that's one of those two <laughs> things is true. And, and if, if Ole Miss is on the schedule again, again next year, maybe you'll be playing Dusty May. Too. Yes, yeah. that's entirely possible. Yes, <laughs> that's a good point. No, I think that four and one record against the SEC in non-conference play. In the moment, we were kind of like, man, this should have been better. Like these teams, you know. Ultimately, you know, Bama and Auburn. 
looked good at the beginning of the season. But you did not think Texas but, A&M was going to be fighting like, for an a- SEC title. Yeah, A&M was looking shaky. Vanderbilt looked, you know, like it wasn't, you know, looked like they were going to be the worst team in the SEC. Um, and Ole Miss, you know, is the worst team in the mm-hmm. SEC. Eh, South Carolina, they split. South Carolina, They okay. split, yeah. Um, but, no, it's. I think that 4-1 and one against the SEC is going to look really good on Selection Sunday. It does, and and the fact that you didn't pick up a an Ole Miss loss, for example, this year. I mean, that was one of their losses last year that had Memphis sweating it out until the end, and and you don't have that this year. So, yeah, I mean, unless you really kind of fumble the rock here down the stretch, you're in good shape largely because of what you did in November and December, which I think is a reflection of the fact that Penny has a veteran roster this year and that he was relying on proven vets early in the season who were ready to go instead of handing the ball over to a you know, freshman and, and asking them to go out and be ready to, to play college basketball you know, two weeks into their, their first year. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because next year it feels like it's going to be more like that again. Um, yeah, but here's FAU sitting at freaking, what, 22 in the net? Yeah, <laughs> it's wild. I mean, it is, it is wild. Like, UAB is a pretty good team right now. They'll be joining the league next year and uh, – can my guy get a job? North Texas is pretty good. Cobb, can my guy get a job? A better one? Andy Kennedy. Andy Kennedy, man. Yeah, he, should, he could. Ole Miss should bring him back. I've, I've been. No, they should never let him go. Yeah, Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, he can. He can. Uh, yeah, Conference USA has a few uh, decent candidates there. I mean, McCaslin at, at North Texas has kind of been in the queue for a while now. Uh, there's going to be some openings, no doubt. I mean, the Pac-12, I think, is going to have at least three uh, Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t-mobile.com. 